You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from DenverStiffs.com, Adam Mates. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mates from DenverStiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Today's episode of the show, a bummer of a one. On a loss, the second consecutive loss, this time at the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets now 2-0 against the Denver Nuggets on the season. They might be the only team. Oh, no, Milwaukee also 2-0. And actually, you know what? Not that dissimilar, Milwaukee and and, and Brooklyn. Uh, some similarities between those teams. Obviously not in talent, um, but in some of the problems and some of the issues that they present to the Nuggets. So there's a lot. I have a big notebook here because I think this game provided – uh, a lot of sort of things to, to chew on and to digest. So um, let's hop into it. But before we do, quick reminder, I'll give the short abridged version. Um, for the All-Star Game, which is a week from Sunday, I'll be doing my first ever live recording of the Locked on Nuggets podcast, bringing on some of my favorite guests, Mark Coulomb, uh, D-Line Co., and Brendan Vogt. All three will be on the panel. We'll have a, a microphone for people to ask questions. It should be a lot of fun. So come out, Society Bar and Grill. That is sponsored by Realtor Ryan Dykstra. Uh, should be a really good time, so so come check that out. Put that in your calendar. The 17th, Sunday the 17th at 4.30. Um, all right, let's get into this one. Um, first of all, Jamal Murray is back. That's the first note. Um, you know, you got the sense that he would be back before too long. I thought physically he looked fine out there. I didn't notice a limp. He didn't look tender or anything like that. Um, some of his timing and stuff was a little bit off, but, um, you know, just if you're just looking at it from, you know, signs of injury or anything like that, I thought he looked really, really good. So that's a, that's a good sign. And then a new starting lineup. And you guys have listened to the show for long enough. You kind of know what I've been calling for. Jamal Murray. Malik Beasley, Will Barton, uh, Mason Plumley, and Nikola Jokic. That might be – that's as good to me. That is as good a lineup as Denver can throw out there. I think Gary Harris and Paul Millsap instead of Beasley and Mason Plumley. those guys are kind of interchangeable, but maybe those two, Harris and Millsap, just a little bit better, especially defensively. I think a little bit better, so you could say that's the best lineup. But this one's almost a mirror image of that just in terms of functionality. Um, I have said quite a bit – the best lineups for a Nikola Jokic team, and this is a Nikola Jokic team. It's it, it's um, as long as Jokic is here, I imagine it will be a Jokic team. The best lineups have three players on the perimeter that can all shoot the ball, but not just shoot the ball. They can, they have to be able to handle the ball in the pick and roll. They don't have to be elite pick and roll players, but they can't be guys that you have to avoid and, and players that can run off the DHO and make uh, very basic decisions. DHO, by the way, dribble handoff. That's when Jokic is dribbling at a guard, hands the ball off, and then sets the screen. We call those DHOs. So um, you have to have three guys. Well, obviously Jamal Murray can do that. Will Barton can do that. Uh, Malik Beasley can shoot really, really well. Might be the best shooter on the team. And then for handling off the handoffs, he's getting better. I think with more experience and more court time, he'll be just as good as a player like Gary Harris. If I had to rank the players in terms of how they were able to play the dribble handoff game, um, you know, Monte Murray and Barton are all, you know, well, you know, per really good, really, really good. Um, and then there's another tier that the next tier would probably go uh, with Gary Harris and Malik Beasley, sort of those next guys. And then everybody else falls below that uh, threshold. So, um, 
you know, actually, Wancho, Wancho does okay with this. He makes very basic reads, and he usually doesn't try to force things. Um, but I think that's fine. And, and for Malik Beasley in lineups like this, that's kind of what you look for, too. You don't have to split the atom. The more pick and rolls you could put a team through, the better. And then that fourth guy, obviously you have Jokic, but then that last guy, if you have preferably an athletic, springy player that can offensive rebound and plays with a ton of energy, and Mason Plumlee, I think, fits that bill. Paul Millsap doesn't necessarily fit that bill, but defensively he makes up for a lot of it uh, on that end. So with the lineup the Nuggets threw out there today, I think a, a very, very good one. And they got off to a great start, a 16-5 to start. And they looked. It wasn't just that they got up 16-5 to in three and a half minutes or whatever it was. It was that the the ball was popping. This looked like Nuggets basketball. This looked like Jokic ball. And the team just looked like they were in their like natural state. And lo and behold, the defense, I've always said, I think the offense feeds the defense, uh, gives energy to the defense. Well, that's what happened at least early in this game. One of the storylines of this game is how flat the Nuggets were. But when I, one of the reasons I like to go back and watch it, I take in a game one time and I like to take, I take notes, but, but not that many notes. And I just kind of like to take in what were my initial impressions. And then I'll kind of write those down after the game. And my, you know, overarching note was that the Nuggets just didn't come out with energy. Well, that's not true. They came out with a tremendous amount of energy. The energy was lost, and that was something that I, that I had to really watch a second time to really grasp. The energy in this opening frame, really all the way through that first time out, was really phenomenal. Um, and one of the reasons Denver, that, that fourth guy being an athletic guy, and why I like Mason Plumley alongside Jokic is... There's an opportunity. Denver has led the league in rebounding or been top three in rebounding for each of the last three years, the, the Nikola Jokic era. And I don't think that's uh, you know, a coincidence. Um, and I don't think that it's necessarily because Denver has these like elite big rebounders. They do have very, very good ones. Jokic and Plumlee both very good. And then you have some guards that are above, you know, Tory Craig and and guys like that that can uh, rebound for their position very well. But I think the number one reason that all of these guys rebound so well is that Denver does a great job of using the geometry of their court to their advantage. Three shooters along the outside and Jokic at the top of the key. Already you're talking about four defenders spread out along the arc, but not just spread out and standing there like when you're guarding the Houston Rockets. Spread out and moving and having to think and make decisions and going from help side to on ball. Well, when you're doing those things, what are you not doing? Getting in position to rebound. Think about it. A lot of times these guys have to go from on ball to help side to closing out on a shooter to rebounding all within the span of maybe seven or eight seconds. And when you make make a team do that there's just gaps for rebounding and it's easier for the offense to kind of be in position and especially that one guy that usually plays the dunker whether it's Millsap or whether it's uh Mason Plumley, and I think that lends itself to some great rebounds so this first opening bit you know Denver got a couple good looks and knocked down a couple good looks from the perimeter but the shots that they missed were they were in great rebounding position and Mason Plumley got off to an extremely hot start um because of it and I think as much as Mason came out, and I think the storyline is, oh, he was in Brooklyn, the, the team that, that drafted him, so he had a little extra edge. I think that was part of it. He certainly had some pep in his step, but I think a bigger part of it is just when you put a lineup out there like that, he there's going to be a lot of opportunities for him to grab rebounds. So um, part of me thinks that the effort he had tonight and the effectiveness he had uh, will be somewhat sustainable. The, the offense kept rolling even through the first time out. The Nuggets had 23 points with in the first five and a half minutes before even halfway through. So Denver was on pace to get you know a 46, 48-point quarter, which would be just absolutely monster. Um, 
Jamal Murray missed a layup. He was back. I said that physically he looked fine, but you know, just a little bit of the timing and rhythm stuff was off. Well, he gets a great feed from Nikola Jokic. What what I call a moon ball, right? He throws these like high arching little floaters that fall right into the pocket of a cutter. Well, he had one of those to Murray, and Murray goes up for a layup. A layup mildly contested and misses it, then goes for the putback and misses that. That would have pushed the lead to 13 points. A 13-point lead at that point, I, th- I think, is you know, you're know you really, really starting to roll. And then after that, the ball goes out of bounds. Denver actually retains possession, but that's when the first substitutes come in. So, um, And then very shortly after that, I think the next play – the Nuggets are still rolling, but then Mason Plumley has that turnover where him and Jokic were running the pick and roll again. It was really more of a dribble handoff, and Plumley kind of threw a, a little bit too of a fancy pass that hit Jokic. They just, they just were on the same page for whatever reason, and that kind of halted momentum. Two plays in a row where Denver was kind of feeling themselves, and both plays end in sort of blooper type um, uh, endings where, where both in both instances the team's almost embarrassed, and I thought that killed a little bit of the momentum and led to what happened really for the the next 25 30 minutes or so listeners it is a white hot real estate market here in denver and there is a need more than ever for rental units airbnb rentals and most of all housing for family members so instead of paying more money for a larger home in a different neighborhood you can affordably add an accessory dwelling unit also known as an adu to your current home and take advantage of the booming colorado market a lot of people are doing this right now i got friends that are doing this um, to make a little bit of extra cash there are several different types of adus Tiny homes, container houses, uh, stick builds, converted walkout basements, mother-in-law apartments. If you live in Denver, Arvada, Golden, Castle Rock, Jefferson County, Inglewood, or Colorado Springs, uh, you might be el- your house might be eligible for converting to an ADU. ADUs have a lot of benefits. They can increase the value of your home. They can provide housing for aging family members, maybe a mother-in-law or a a grandparent that could move in with you for you to take care of. It can house your adult children who are still living under your roof. Um, So what you want to do is the new sponsor of this show, financemyadu.com. They can help you in different ways. They can help you pay for your ADU and finance it so that you can start making money on your home. Put you in touch with experts that can help you with every step on the way. You can even visit their Facebook page or just go to financemyadu.com or give them a call, 720-650-1081. That's 720-650-1081, financemyadu.com. So here's where things started to get ugly for the Denver Nuggets. I mentioned they lost a little bit of momentum there, made those first subs. I thought on, on rewatch, one of my notes in here was that this was one of Will Barton's worst games, maybe maybe as a Nugget, really. I mean, but certainly over the last over, over this season. And on rewatch, I was surprised at how good he looked in the first six minutes. He actually had a couple great passes. He had that excellent drop-off feed to Mason Plumley for a dunk. Uh, he had the three-pointer to start the game off. So there was actually some really good plays. I don't know what happened. He he hit a wall, and then he ended up making not just bad plays, but loudly um, bad plays, and he was part of this slide right here. Um, but the second unit as a whole was very disappointing. 
And I think the most disappointing player of all, you know, the, the defensive energy just fell off a cliff with that second unit. And I don't know what it was that, that would have caused it. I think part of it is the Nuggets offense got rolling a little, maybe, maybe too much. And Denver just kind of took their foot off of the gas. Maybe it was the guys that came in, but Trey Lyles, who had an interesting stat line tonight, he continued to shot, shoot the ball. Well, five of 10 from the field, 15 points. He was a team worst negative 21. Nobody, the next closest one was Juan who was also terrible in this game. I'm going to talk about him later. A minus 10. Um, but Trey Lyles plays 22 minutes. He's a minus 21. Virtually every second he was out on the court was a bad one. And a lot of this comes came down to... Um, you know, some of this is just luck, is all plus my single game plus minuses. But I thought there were four or five instances in this first and second quarter alone where he just put no effort or was one of the laziest I've ever seen at closing out at the three point line. And he's a guy, this is a problem that Denver has. And they didn't have it necessarily earlier in the year. I thought they were good about this. But that third and fourth rotation, you know, Denver's been making the first, second, sometimes third rotation. But when that ball starts to whip around the perimeter, maybe a guy dribbles penetrates you help to wall it off they swing the ball and it starts to swing well you have to start to anticipate where the ball is going to be you have to be in your stance you have to be ready um, to close out well there was a, a play in particular I'm thinking of um, one of the ones that really got the run going for Brooklyn where Trey Lyles is the rotation guy I'm watching him as the ball starts to swing thinking Trey run out on the corner guy he doesn't see it till it's too late he, he sees it basically at the time the pass from the wing was getting to the guy in the corner he looks he thinks oh that's my guy and then you could tell he takes an he almost just says well then I'm, I'm too late I'm not going to run out at it then the shooter takes an extra second to gather the ball and then he thinks oh crap well I better run out at it now I'm going to look bad and then of course they drain it there were just too many plays like that not just from Trey Lyles but I thought he I think that he is consistently one of the most um egregious offenders of this particular thing so he knocked down some shots he had a couple good moments offensively but when he was on the court Denver was just getting murdered and just getting blitzed from behind the three-point line and a lot of it had to do with that that scrambling um he had a uh, Will Barton had the worst defensive rating on the team Will Barton by the way another one of these guys that's a really bad uh offender of this um People complain about Will Barton's offense. I think you would have a much better case of complaining about his defense. I think I think that's really where his biggest weaknesses come from. And he has some games where he looks okay on that end. Um, but tonight, him and Trey Lyles in particular, especially in that stretch, um, they just were giving up so many bad backside rotations, and that's what really kills you. Um I've never seen Mason Plumlee had a heck of a first quarter, man. Uh, um, all those rebounds and hustle plays. I mentioned that it was just it was great because that's his role in the offense, and he was filling it really, really well at that first unit. But he started to go even beyond that because he had a one-on-one -on -one spin move drive. He's kind of gotten very good with that spin move. It's one of his go-to's now. It's funny Mason has like four or five go-to moves. That fake. Um, up and under reverse pivot that I like so much. Um, and the, the spin move is one of them. It's kind of funny that you can almost tell what movie he's going to do now that we've watched him so much. Um, but he also shot a floater. I've never seen Mason Plumley take a heat check, but he took a heat check running floater and nailed it. Um, it was kind of fun. <laughs> Mason Plumley on fire is like low key one of the more exciting players to uh, watch be on fire. Um, but unfortunately, to end this first quarter and to start the second, it was amazing how quickly that lead evaporated. I think Denver was up 14 in that first quarter, 13, 14, maybe 16, I can't even remember. They were up big and rolling, and it was like a minute 30 that thing was gone. Um, that it, it was really, really tough. One of the other notes I have in here, and this is important, this was really more for 
so that second unit comes in. This mirrored the Detroit game in a, a couple ways. The first unit was awesome. Second unit was terrible. And then by the time the starters came back in, it looked like they had lost all of their mojo. They were no longer flying around. They were never long, no longer playing with confidence. They had a ton of turnovers in that second quarter. Um, but one of the notes I have that even in that first quarter I thought was a bit of a problem, when Denver gets rolling offensively, I think they have a tendency to feel themselves a little bit too much in transition. And in this game, as great as Denver was, their worst possessions, especially in the first half, were in transition where they were just thinking, okay, we just scored two or three times in a row. We're on fire. But really, they scored those in a row out of the half court. Denver's a great half court team. And you can't be gun shy in the open court. You want guys attacking. But your principle should still remain. You want... A minus shots at best. You you don't want B minus shots. And I thought Denver, you know, Jamal Murray has really fallen in love with that transition pull up three. I think he's like three for 50 on the season on those. Not necessarily a great shot just yet. Um, Malik Beasley had a couple quick trigger ones. Will Barton had a couple where um, one where he passed up an open shot, drives into the lane and there's nothing. And, and then they get a quick shot out of kind of a scrambled possession. I think that one of the things that's tough for Denver, and I think when their starting unit gets back and they're able to play um, more with their regular rotation and with these guys, I, this is one of those good problems. Their offense was going so well that everyone was feeling it, but I think once they get guys back, there's more of that in transition. You still have to stick to that A- minus or better shot, and if not, make them work in the half court. There's nothing, as much as fast breaking can really bury a team, there's mu nothing more demoralizing than a fast break where the team resets it, then runs 20 seconds off the clock, and then scores because you sprinted back in transition, then you had to guard in the half court, and you still gave up a, a, a bucket. Those are Those are great ones. Those are knockout punches, um, but Denver tonight I didn't think had great patience um, with that. They started turning the ball over. Um, there was too many just basic miscommunications, and one of the reasons, you know, there was some hope at the beginning of the year. This three-point defensive three-point shooting has regressed back to what it should, quite frankly, because I'd never bought into that. You listen to the show, you know I said that I didn't think that was sustainable. But one of the things that's really concerning is that there's a lot of just basic defensive communication miscues. And and with some of the same offenders, Jamal Murray, Wancho Hernan Gomez, Malik Beasley, it's your younger guys, especially your young guard players, um, wing players. But they uh, some of these are just like you would really hope that by year three they were starting to cut these out or make them less frequent. Things like simple pin-down screens. Defense doesn't know if they're supposed to switch. Both guys go with one, leave a wide-open three-point shooter, and then both look at each other like, how could you do that? So I, I don't understand how we can be this for, far into um, you know, the same – basically the same roster, the same coaching staff, very similar defensive principles on these types of basic interactions and exchanges, and they still screw them up at, at such an alarming rate. Um, it's concerning. I mean, this is a team, I know that Michael Malone is a, is a disciplined kind of guy because we, we, you know, you see it. It's the types of things he, he talks about nonstop. So for the team to still not be able to get this, I don't know what it's going to take for Malone to get these guys to buy into it. Um, Wancho continues to just be sad. I've talked about him defensively. He is an unplayable player, I think, at the moment. Um, and I never, I think two months ago, I would have never guessed I would have said that. Right at the, the tail end of his hot streak, he was so good. I talked about what a glue piece he was. Um, tonight, just, just not very good at all. He played for 14 minutes. He recorded one stat. 
He had one rebound. So he played for 14 minutes. He had zero points, zero assists, zero turnovers, zero steals, zero blocks. He did have a foul, so I guess he had a foul, and one rebound. It's just it's wild how much when he's not making shots, he's not contributing to the team, and he was 0 for 4 from tonight, 0 for 2 from the, the – three-point line he got a shot blocked um just he just looks so out of sorts that unfortunately i think he's an unplayable player um and it was at this point that the team lost their energy i talked about the starters coming back in there was a nervousness to the team there was a moodiness to them and kind of a mopiness to them and this is last game you know i saw a lot of people saying okay this was just one loss we got to flush it malone after the game talked about you know he felt like the team quit this is why I had a little bit more of a not an alarmist podcast uh, following the Detroit game, but more of a no. I think there is something to this, and I said that this Brooklyn game really needed a bounce back more than your typical, you know, following a loss. But the reason for that was because I sensed this weirdness around the team, just a weird energy around them, and maybe it's fatigue because a lot of guys have had to step up in the absence of Paul Millsap and Gary Harris and Jamal Murray, and maybe they're just a little worn out. It's the trade deadline. They've been playing for a lot of months. I'm sure their bodies just need a break. Um, so I think there's a lot of that going on. Um, but it's still this game mirrored that Detroit game so much that now I think you have to say, okay, this is a real problem. And Denver is at a, at a point where um, if they don't kind of regroup and figure out how to cor uh, correct course here, they could be looking at a three, four, five game losing streak heading into the All-Star break. And you never want to see that happen. Um, that second quarter, five turnovers. Uh, they they allowed Brooklyn to shoot 11 free throws, and Brooklyn made seven three-pointers. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster alone. If you didn't tell me anything else that happened in, in, in that quarter, if that was one quarter, you say, okay, that's bad. And then everything just started to snowball. The final three minutes of this half, of that first half, it was just an absolute snowball where Denver, you could tell the momentum was gone. I mentioned that energy just being so weird, and it felt like everything Brooklyn put up went in. So really, really, really tough, tough stretch there for Denver. And, um, you know, they're going to have to figure out a way to bounce back. On the second watch, I thought that the team actually, one of the things I wanted to notice was, all right, you're down big, coming out of the half. How did they approach that half? Because in my mind, you know, they just got blown out and didn't come out ready. On rewatch, the team came out with energy in that half. And this is why you don't get down. This is why you don't wait for the worst moment to say, okay, now it's time to flip a switch because it doesn't always work. Denver came out focused, but D'Angelo Russell hits back-to-back-to-back three-pointers, all the impressive variety, contested or three or four steps behind the line that it's like, yeah, you could play hard defense, but sometimes, this is the NBA, sometimes guys just make shots. And Denver went from, okay, we can get back in this to, okay, we came out and gave like 30 seconds of great effort, and all of a sudden the, the, the deficit didn't just stay where it was. It extended by nine points, and that next thing you know, they're down 20. Another play, that Bar Will Barton, Malik Beasley fast break. Um, live, it looked like Beasley just threw a lazy pass. On rewatch, it looked like Barton just missed it and then gave up on the play, and that was so indignant of the entire team in, in, in this game is that you know maybe things were not quite perfect but they also didn't didn't fight through that adversity and that play just kind of encapsulated um, Will Barton's play certainly in this game but everybody the entire team so that was really bad Malone event very quickly give you know yanks that unit and he should have um, that unit did not come out ready to play in that second half or, or after I should say they came out ready to play but after they got punched in the mouth you could see a little bit of quit in them and if there's a silver lining to this game and I think there is 
but one of the silver linings, Jared Vanderbilt, who got recalled from from the G League, comes up and he gets to actual pl- play actual meaningful minutes in this one. Um, and I thought that he, more than any other player, so Malone does like a line change, throws the bench out there, Monte Morris, Torrey Craig, uh, Vanderbilt, I think Wancho was in the group. Um, so you get that second unit out there, and let's see what they got. Well, I thought Jared Vanderbilt, more than any other player, injected exactly what this Nuggets team needs and needed in that moment, which is just some energy. He's sort of like Torrey Craig. I mean, Torrey Craig at his best um, provides that that wrinkle of energy and just chaos that the Nuggets don't have. They have a lot of guys that are finesse and smart and and tactical, but they don't necessarily have just the, the like battering ram. Well, Jared Vanderbilt, this is part of the reason I'm so excited about his fit, and he's a little bit more raw. I mean, every every time we get a look at him, you see some of the, the rawness in his game where you think, okay, he has a lot of cleaning up to do, and he has a long way to go. He'll be a project. But just the energy and just the effort and the fight that he has is something that I think Denver really needs. You need that guy. Earlier, I talked about the perfect Jokic lineup features three DHO players and then one guy that can just a hustle rebounder that can just own the boards where Jared Vanderbilt he has such a quick jump there I think the number one reason he is a great rebounder more more than effort more than all of that stuff um leaping ability whatever it's the quickness of his jump he is the first when he he looks and he just waits for the ball figures out what trajectories it's on and then beats everybody else to the jump and th- i think it's because of that that he is so good so his energy was great he comes in uh, that second unit comes in instant 7-0 run i mean it was like 40 seconds and they're on a 7-0 run and some of this was Malik Beasley gets a steal, goes out in transition. I've talked about what a threat he makes Denver in transition, and every game he gets a couple of transition buckets. Um, so it was great to see that uh, that he could uh, that Vanderbilt get into the game. But then there was some of the other stuff that was great. So he made a couple of rotations, and I'll probably do something on Denver Stiffs tomorrow about this. Cut these three clips and just kind of highlight them. He made this one where he shows out on the pick and roll. Um, contains the drive, the the drop-off pass goes to the rolling Jared Allen, and he rotates so quickly back. He covers so much ground. Again, this is what I'm talking about with that quick first jump, but it's also a quick first step. Just everything he does has a quickness to it. He recovered all the way in time that it caught Jared Allen off guard, and he traveled. It was an amazing defensive play. I mean, I'm talking an elite-level defense, just this one play, elite-level defensive play um, that makes you really excited and shows the upside. Not every player can do it. In fact, most players can't do that. Um, I have no idea if Jared Vanderbilt will do this consistently at the NBA level, but just the fact that he can do that one time tells you, okay, that's something you can build off of. He also switched out onto D'Angelo Russell uh, and was able to uh, contain him when nobody had. D'Angelo Russell was going off in that second quarter. Jared Vanderbilt switched out onto him. I thought he did a great job of keeping his hands active um, throughout the game. He had a steal kind of in, fan, uh, in transition, but he also just put hands up on shooters, which I know it's a silly thing, but it makes a difference. It it, it just discourages the, def- the the offensive player from shooting. So really, really good stuff from him. Now they cut the lead down, I think, to 11. Um, it was 21. They cut it down to 11. Um, and Jared Vanderbilt, Trey Lyles both had their hands on their knee. They were so tired. It was only like a five-minute stretch, maybe four. It wasn't a ton of minutes. 
And both of those guys were so clearly out of gas. And I thought in this game, this was one where Malone was, you know, clearly making a point and he had a right to that, you know, he was sending a message. This unit had played great and I think he wanted to, to reward them. But at the same time, you rewarded them by letting them make this run. I thought that was a great opportunity for him to put somebody back in for one of those two guys, if not both. Um, or even he had used so many timeouts early on that he didn't really, I think he only had two left at that point, wanted to save him. But I thought he just left him in too long. So they, they're down 11. Um, Craig, Tory Craig, by the way, three of five from three in this, this game. So I have to, uh, I don't always talk about him when he plays great. And he was really, really good in this game. Him, him and Vanderbilt together, you know, sometimes you just throw out these lineups that are just too athletically overwhelming. And it doesn't matter if you're perfect or the spacing, like those stuff almost matters less. It's just, can you physically overwhelm the other team and out hustle them, especially second units. And, and those two really got going to where they felt like they were a great one to punch. Um, but so then, so they get tired, and I thought Trey Lyles, especially in this last this last three minutes, was a disaster of that quarter because Denver goes from down eleven within striking distance to down twenty one, and they basically blown all of the momentum that that second group had made. But Trey Lyles, in particular, he shoots a three pointer in transition from like a couple, maybe a foot and a half behind the three point line. That was just a terrible shot. Trey Lyles, a twenty five percent three point shooter, he shoots this with twenty seconds on the clock on the move in transition. Um, he took a couple shots. He he. Demanded post-ups where he stopped the entire offense so he could post up and then got the ball poked away. So there was a couple of just momentum-killing plays like that in the third quarter that led to runouts, and that's how you blow the momentum when you were when you were so close. So instead of being cutting that lead down, you're right back where you you started. The fourth quarter, Nuggets started to make a run late in the fourth. Um, the biggest possession, and and actually it was really the final four minutes. It really sh- started to look like the Memphis game, where it's like okay, Denver didn't play great. They've made runs this or that, but they're still down and then they made one big run at the end where you thought okay anything is possible here but the biggest possession we're going to fast forward till two minutes and 30 seconds left Jamal Murray again this is this is another thing that I think when Denver is playing together and they're everybody's in the lineup consistently they don't run into these problems but this was one where Jamal Murray started feeling it and why was he feeling it he had a solid game he had uh, 19 points on 8 of 17 shooting he had 11 assists so he had, statistically he was doing fine but he was getting those points in the half court and off of good offense. And I think sometimes when you make two or three shots in a row off of good process, you think, Oh, well I can score off of bad process now. Well, he gets the ball two minutes, 30 seconds to go. I think Denver was at 10 point only down 10 points looking like they could um, really put some pressure uh, on Brooklyn and he doesn't pass. He dribbles down the entire shot clock dribbles into a one legged step back Dirk like fall away that had uh, for two points that had, had no chance. It was a really ugly shot, really low vo- percentage shot, and um, and it misses. And those that's one of those plays where, in addition to it just being a miss, it's also kind of a morale boost when four other guys sit around and watch you take that shot. Um, Nuggets next two plays cut it to eight, and then Monte Morris. So there's only like a minute thirty left uh, on the game. Monte Morris gets a fast break. He gets fouled shooting like a five foot floater, and it almost goes down and comes out. That was one of those ones where if you get the end one, you cut it to five. He doesn't get that. He goes one for two from the line, and he only cuts it to se- to seven. And, you know, it's just little breaks like that. That's why you don't put yourself in that position because you can't control sometimes the little things. So Denver loses this one. They're now on a two-game losing streak. They've got Philadelphia coming up who had just made a big trade for Tobias Harris. I think that's going to be an emotional night, assuming all of those guys are active, which I think they should be. It's on ESPN. Um, Jokic versus Embiid, which we 
just have not seen very much. Denver is that is a game that Denver could get blown out if they do not come correct for that game. So I'm nervous, definitely nervous for that one. It could get really ugly really fast. Um, but I wanted to address one thing, and and it's a thing that bugs me every time I hear it. Malone has a line, and and I know I know he doesn't mean it quite the way he's saying it, but it does. It still bugs me nonetheless. He he has this line that he says, "If I have to coach effort, then we're in trouble." Meaning these players should bring effort every day, and I don't like that for a couple different reasons. One, a coach's job, in my opinion, a leader's—not just a coach, but this is also true of players. A coach's job is to inspire and to get guys and to figure out what makes them tick and to push the right buttons. I mean, everything—you know—I've read Phil Jackson's book, uh, his his most recent book. I've, you know, I've 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 been through enough basketball books, talked to enough basketball people, played enough basketball for people. I know the value of a coach in terms of just understanding what gets you to tick and and, and pushing the right buttons. Now, the lion's share of the blame is on the player. This is no in no word uh, in no way is this like oh Malone didn't do what he's supposed to do. He went with the lineups I like, especially given the way um, they're so shorthanded. I mean, I thought there was a lot of good stuff, but that line bugs me because I look at this team and, you know, Malone was right. There was a little quitting them last game. There was a little quitting them in this game. And I think if you're the coach, yeah, you could huff and puff and say, look, yeah, if I have to coach effort or if these guys are going to quit. And that's true. At the end of the day, these guys need to hold themselves accountable. But as a coach, that's also a riddle that he has to solve. So um, I, I hear him say that one from time to time when, when morale is down or, or, or whatever. And I kind of ho- wish that he would throw that one out of, of his uh, coaching playbook because to me, that actually is the job of a coach. A, a coach's job is to figure out how to get these guys to be at the top of their game. Um, and, and, and that's part of what the value is. So it's a little thing and again I don't think Malone means it maybe we're being semantic here but I do I do think that there's something to him saying okay why is my team now two games in a row going through these lulls seeming out of sorts what is it and then trying to you know inject himself into the problem um, and and figure out what it is thanks so much for listening guys we will be back again uh, tomorrow with a brand new episode we'll see if any trades go down Um, even if they don't go down just for Denver um, I'm sure it'll change the landscape of the NBA so it should be a fun one we'll see everybody then thank you for listening to the Locked on Nuggets podcast be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com.